0: All right, well good morning, everyone. This cuts out again, I'll just move this forward and speak louder, but it's all right. Well as uh, Chris was alluding to uh, today, uh, we're going to be speaking a bit about suffering and um, the existence the existence of suffering, it touches us all in one way or another. And uh, over the next two weeks, we are going to spend some time thinking about the issue of suffering uh, from two different angles. Uh, Many questions are raised uh, regarding this matter, and the most uh, prominent, the one that we hear uh, a lot uh, around the place, is why do bad things happen to good people? And uh, we'll address this more fully next week. Uh, But this morning, I want to tackle the flip side Uh, ...of that question, which can be just as perplexing, if not more so. Uh, That question is, why do good things happen to bad people? That's a a very perplexing question. Uh, Most especially for Christians, why do people who do not trust in God, who perhaps even deride God, uh, why do some of their lives seem trouble-free or even blessed? At times, especially when faithful Christians, uh, those seeking to serve the Lord, those uh, seeking to live godly lives, uh, sometimes suffer greatly. There can be tremendous temptation uh, to envy the lives of those people and to think that the believer has hitched his carriage up behind the wrong train. I mean, who among us has never looked with envy At the prosperity and the blessing uh, that others seem to be experiencing. It's a real danger um, for believers, for God's people. In recent weeks and uh, months, we've spent a great deal of time working through the standards of godliness in the church uh, found in Titus chapter 2. But why? What on earth should we spend time looking at standards of godliness for god's people when when those who are not trusting in god whatsoever seem to have very blessed lives indeed why should we seek to honor christ in the way we live when when those who don't honor christ seem blessed for their troubles
1: so it's a real
0: danger for us as believers to look upon others and think are we in the right line here when the 73rd psalm This matter is addressed with great clarity and honesty. Asaph, uh, the writer, he shares his experience of almost, almost um, walking away from the faith. Because he saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he bears his soul to us in this psalm. He shares his most tragic thoughts, uh, but he does so because God saved him from the brink. God kept him from falling, and Asaph shares that we might learn from his experience that we might never doubt the goodness of God to his people. This psalm is immensely rich and, and very full in the truths that it it brings about. Uh, The great British uh, expository preacher of the 20th century, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he once spent 11, count them, 11 consecutive Sundays preaching verse by verse through this psalm. And so that tells you something of the depth uh, of these words. Uh, He uh, uh, put all that together in this, this book called Faith, on trial, and I highly recommend uh, getting yourself a copy. It's still available. Um, you know, we wouldn't we wouldn't agree with everything. Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones uh, preached, uh, particularly his teaching on the baptism and the Holy Spirit, uh, but we would highly recommend him otherwise because he was a staunch defender and proclaimer of God's truth. And uh, if if this is a subject that uh, really hits home for you at this time. Uh, then I encourage you to get a copy of of his book, Faith on Trial, and just soak in the truths that he draws out from God's word. I pray that as we address uh, this issue of suffering over the next two weeks, uh, that your hearts would be encouraged and that you would come to a deeper trust in the Lord and in his promises. So please uh, open your Bibles uh, to Psalm 73, if you haven't done so already. And we're going to begin by reading this passage together. (coughs) Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me... It is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Well, this passage clearly breaks down into two sections. In the the first half, we see the deception of God's people. And then there's this, this clear turning point when he enters the sanctuary of God and everything changes. And the second half speaks of the deliverance of God's people. And so what leads Asaph out of deception and into deliverance? And so keeping those broad sections in mind, uh, we're going to go verse by verse under, under 10 simple headings that will help, help us trace the psalmist's story. Now, covering all this in one sermon uh, obviously means that we can't go into great depth on every matter. But we will be able to discern how the psalmist almost fell away from God and how the psalmist was saved from this precarious position. These are crucial matters for God's people. And so may his Holy Spirit illuminate this passage to our hearts and minds as we study it this morning. Now, if you are someone who does not know God in a saving way, it's vital that you hear this message as well. This truly is a matter of eternal life or eternal death. This is serious business here. So, turning to Psalm 73, we see that Asaph opens with a description of the character of God. He starts with God. Verse 1 says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now, it's a statement about the goodness of God. And it's a firm statement as well. Truly, this is the truth. God is good to Israel. And it's a statement that's affirmed throughout the Scriptures. One example, Psalm 119, verse 68. The psalmist says, You are good and do Good. Now it's not complicated, is it? God is good and he does good. And the psalmist says, teach me your statutes. God is good. And to those who have undivided loyalty to God, they can be assured of God's goodness towards them. Now he's not speaking here of, of sinless perfection that's not what he means by pure in heart i mean the old testament sacrificial system was there to deal with sin and of course that that was pointing towards the ultimate sacrifice in the lord jesus christ and 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 this side of the cross we know that uh, for sinners it is through repentance of sin and faith in christ alone that we are declared forgiven and righteous that we are justified before god but prior to the cross trusting in God's promises led to salvation. So the psalmist is not denying sin. Uh, Those who are pure in heart are those who, by God's grace, seek to be loyal and devoted to him, to seek to live in godliness, to live a life that pleases God. Yet, for Asaph, and this is not merely a statement of fact right this is a statement of experience Uh, this psalm is his story he he knew this to be true about god but then he was tempted not to believe it was true and then he's brought to this assurance of the truth of god's goodness and so he states his conclusion at the beginning and then he goes on to explain how he came to that firm conclusion. And so there is a confession of sin in verses 2 to 3. In verse 1 he begins, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Yes, that is the truth. But, as for me, my feet almost stumbled, my steps nearly slipped. Why? What was the reason for that? For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You see, Asaph was a godly man, but his eyes, they started to wander. He he trusted in God's goodness to his people, and yet he couldn't help but notice on the corner, what are these people doing over here? He couldn't help but see the prosperity of the wicked. Now, who are the wicked? Those who do not trust in God we were all in this category at one point before the grace of God touched our lives and enabled us uh, to call out for mercy, to to call out to Jesus Christ. (coughs) And yet Asaph couldn't help but notice that those who had not trusted in the Lord, uh, they were nevertheless experiencing great blessing. They were healthy, they were wealthy. And what a temptation that was to Asaph. What a temptation that is for all of us. Now Asaph did not fully succumb. He didn't fully abandon God. He said that he had almost stumbled. He'd not acted upon his thoughts. But here he is confessing what's going on in his thoughts. He'd given room for the temptation to grow. He'd encouraged the temptation by, by thinking about it by replaying it over and over in his mind and so instead of dismissing it he dwelt on it and he almost stumbled so what was the cause of envy well we see that explained in verses 4 to 9 verse 4 says they have no pangs until death their bodies are fat and sleek so Asaph perceives that these people have, have great health, they are thriving, but they've got no struggles. Now, surely that's not fully the case, but the grass is always greener on another hill, isn't it? We look at, at Hollywood and we think of the lives uh, and the blessing and the wonder of what it is uh, to be a movie star. Um But how many of these Hollywood lifestyles are followed by Hollywood divorces and Hollywood drug habits and Hollywood depressions and Hollywood destructions? We always want the grass on the other side until we see it for what it really is. But he continues, verse 5, they are are not in trouble as others are. they're, They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. And so Asaph is... He's, he's allowing these thoughts to grow and, and, and he thinks that their lives look so good, so pleasant and who wouldn't want that? But look at verses 6 to 9 it says that they these people these wicked people they basically live as they like and that they treat others with contempt. It seems there was also a desire in, in God's people to avoid trouble and, and persecution. If they just went along with the flow, uh, they could avoid the struggles that come. It costs to take a stand for the truth of God's word. And they were questioning whether it was worth it. And we also see that, that God's people believed that there was, or well, they came to believe that that. There is no one that would hold these people accountable. Look at verse 9. These people, they set their mouths against the heavens. And so here is the real problem for Asaph. These wicked people disregard others, and most especially they disregard God. And yet, and yet they seem to face no consequences for that. And they seem to be blessed for that. Now that's really hard to take. That was the real temptation for Asaph. And that is the real temptation before all God's people. Why should we follow God when others don't and they seem blessed? Why should we follow God when others thumb their nose at God and there doesn't seem to be any repercussions for that? But look at what happens when we entertain these thoughts. We see the consequence of doubt through verses 10 to 14. Verse 10 says, Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. Well, whose people? God's people. When we doubt the goodness of God, it leads to resentment against God. Uh, but to resent God is out of blasphemy, isn't it? It's to malign God's character. You know, it's only by God's grace that he even gives us the next breath to utter these things against him. Who on earth are we to say something against the holy creator of the universe? But right from the beginning, it has always been a temptation to doubt God's word and to doubt God's character. Did God really say, said the serpent in the garden, did God really give you all that you need? Will God really punish evil? And we see all these things here. The people in Asaph's day, they doubted God's word and his character. They doubted his goodness. They doubted his declarations of right and wrong. I mean, they they couldn't find fault in these wicked people. They couldn't see that the the wicked people were doing anything wrong. or that they would be punished by God. And so they joined them. Even though these wicked people were outrightly maligning God's character, these people were saying, how could God know what we're up to? Well, that's to deny the omniscience and the omnipresence and the justice of God. Yet God's people were suckered in to this. They flocked to them. And even Asaph is seriously contemplating defection. He's been trying to live in obedience to God, but what has that brought him? Uh, Verse 14, For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. And so he looks on his own life and says, Well, following God has brought me suffering in this life. But this is how God's people are deceived, is it not? They fail to remember that the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. And the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The gate to life is not hard because we we have to earn our way into it. No, this gate, uh, this gate has big letters emboldened across the top. G-R-A-C-E. It's by God's grace alone that people walk the narrow path. This path is hard because we still live in a fallen and sinful world that is in rebellion against God and anyone associated with God. Anyone who serves him by his grace. The Apostle Paul declared in 2 Timothy 3, verses 12 to 13, he said, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Did you catch that? How many people? All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. A major stumbling block for Christians is that we just we seem to be unaware of what we have been called into. Either we haven't been taught it, we haven't heard that from the pulpit, we haven't opened our Bibles and just read straight through and, and seen what it clearly says, or we have seen what it says and we allow ourselves to be convinced otherwise, thinking that material blessing and and worldly peace should always be our lot in life. You know, if God is good, his people shouldn't suffer. If God is good, his people should know health and wealth and prosperity. But we need to know the truth. Just like Asaph and his people needed to know the truth. And this is what happened in verses 15 to 17. When Asaph received the clarity of revelation. Now, there are two revelations here. The first, in verse 15, we see that Asaph has a revelation of how his actions affect others. He said, If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. And so it's clear that Asaph never fully acted uh, upon his temptation. And what stopped him initially was recognising the devastation uh, that this would have brought to God's people. We must think hard about how our words and our actions will affect others, uh, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. If we are thinking of sin, if we are tempted for sin, how is that going to affect us? our brother or our sister next to us. What does Jesus say on this matter? Matthew 18, verse 6. Whoever causes one of these little ones, speaking of disciples, whoever causes one of these little ones to be- who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. And Jesus was pretty clear. On that. So care for the faith of others is an enormous matter that should stem our temptations to sin. We don't want to be a stumbling block to those around us. But more, even more, was graciously revealed to Asaph. He was completely perplexed at the situation. He had he had no human answers on the matter. On the surface, everything just seemed like a giant contradiction. Why were the wicked prospering while the righteous were suffering? Why was God silent in this matter? And Asaph, he strained himself. He was wearied and he was stressed until when? Verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned therein. Then I understood He received knowledge. Truth is powerful. It is the truth that sets us free. Let me quote from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said, Let us never forget that the message of the Bible is addressed primarily to the mind, to the understanding There is nothing about the gospel that is more satisfying than this. It does not merely give me an experience. It enables me to understand life. I have knowledge. I have understanding. I know. I can give a reason for the hope that is in me. I do not merely say that whereas I was blind, now I see, without knowing why or how. I know. I can give reasons for the hope that is in me. Thank God that this man, when he went into the sanctuary of God, found an explanation. It was not merely some temporary relief that he received. It was not some kind of injection that was given to him to assuage the pain just a little for the moment. Not a treatment which would leave the problem still there so that when he got home and the effect had passed, he would be back again where he was before. Not at all. Having started to to think straight in the temple of God, he went home and continued to think straight. And it ended in the production of this psalm. Understanding. Do you know in whom you have believed? Do you know what you believe? Are you interested in Christian doctrine? What is your chief desire? Is it simply to be happy or is it to know the truth? It is one of the most searching questions that can ever be put to Christian people. God forbid that we should ever be people who are simply out for entertainment and whose religious services cater for that. I can quote Asaph wearied himself, he wearied himself silly. Until he came to God. Until he came to listen to God's word. To trust in God's promises. To focus on God's character. To see things from God's perspective. Christianity is a religion of truth. And we must never forget that. It begins with our minds. And then it moves into our hearts. And to our wills. So, what did Asaph's time in the sanctuary reveal? Well, firstly, it revealed the calamity of the wicked. Verses 18 to 20. Truly, you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin, how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. So the wicked, they may look like they are living a blessed life, but it's merely an illusion, or better yet, it's a delusion. They may seem fortunate now, but there will only be misfortune and misery and disaster. Those who do not repent and trust in Christ for salvation, are currently sitting under the righteous wrath of God. Now friends, that is not a position of blessing. Listen to Jesus' words in John chapter 3, verse 18. Speaking of himself, he says, Whoever believes in him, as Jesus, the Son of God, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Without Christ, there is only condemnation. And if we turn then to John chapter 5, we read Jesus' words again. He says this in chapter 5, verses 25 to 29. Just listen to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God And the final judgment is shown in Revelation 20, where we read in verse 15, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And this lake of fire will not end. Back in verse 10, we read about the devil and the beast and the false prophet who were also thrown into the lake of fire. And it says this of their suffering and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is the fate of the wicked for anyone who does not turn to Christ. And so the wicked may seem blessed, they may seem unaccountable, but that is truly not the case. Now understanding things from God's perspective also brings about for Asaph the, the critique of self. In verses 21 to 22, he says, When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in the heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. This is, this is his actions toward God. And so this was Asaph's divinely enabled self evaluation. And he's able to speak with such candor and such openness because he has submitted his life to the word of God. And it's shone a light to expose the darkness within. It has cut him to the core. We know that passage well in Hebrews 4 verse 12 which says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is what the Word of God does. Only by the grace of God at work in Asaph's heart was he willingly able to stand and let the light of the Word expose his deeds. Without God's grace, we desire only uh, to run back into the shadows and to remain hidden. And God's gracious word frees us from our sins and leads us into godliness. The Christian is called to routinely examine their lives before the light of the word. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5, Paul Paul says to the Christian church, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. There is a call for continued evaluation to look at our lives in light of the word and so God revealed Asaph's condition to him and his repentance showed that he indeed truly belonged to God and so God revealed to Asaph uh, something about the wicked, something about Asaph but he also revealed something about himself and in verses 23 to 24 we see the constancy of God See, Asaph, he had just spoken of his own character. How he was brutish and ignorant before God. But then he, he states these incredible hope-filled words. Nevertheless. Is there a more beautiful word in this context? It was Martin Lloyd-Jones who said, Thank God for the buts in the Bible. Nevertheless. Asaph was acting like a beast, but then, nevertheless, despite Asaph's actions, God has remained faithful. Nevertheless, I am continually with you, not because of his own work. You hold my right hand, he says to God. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will receive me to glory. It's all about God's work here. This is the constancy of God. Asaph had almost stumbled, but God was holding his hand. God was guiding him. God was keeping him. God had remained faithful and kept his child from falling away. We can, we must trust in God's promises that he will bring his elect to final glory. Listen to these passages of encouraging truth. In Philippians 1, verse 6. The Apostle Paul says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus, in John 6 verse 39, Jesus our Lord says this, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. True believers may sin and we may sin badly but God will bring them to repentance and keep them persevering in the faith until they are brought into glory not because of their own constancy but because of his. All this glorious revelation leads Asaph to just burst out in song. And so in verses 25 to 26 we see the chorus of of the redeemed, those who've been saved out of slavery to sin. Here is their song. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Do not these words just make your your spirit rise and soar. This is the utterance of a man who has been brought to complete dependence on the Lord. A man who knows that the Lord is reliable. A man who knows that the Lord is completely trustworthy. This kind of dependence reflects the prayer that Christ taught his disciples. This reflects also the words of Christ when he declared from Matthew 6 verse 31. He said, therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. See, Asaph came to see that God was his greatest need and that if he sought God first, then God would supply whatever else in his goodness and wisdom he knew Asaph needed. And even if Asaph's life was taken away, he knew that if he sought God, then he would still have all that he needed. For God was his portion forever. This is the chorus of the redeemed. It is the song that all believers can sing mightily. And joyfully. Well, with that in mind, we come to the conclusion of the enlightened. This is this is the summary statement that the man of God was able to lay out after God had revealed the truth. And what a blessing for us that we live in a time when God's word has truly and sufficiently been laid out for us in the sixty six books of the Bible. You know, we don't live in a time anymore when God speaks directly to certain individuals only. But he speaks to all who would listen in the words of scripture. Every single word. Asaph's conclusion is is in two parts. Beginning in verse 27, he says, For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. And so it's a clear message to believers not to be enticed by the prosperity of the wicked. It will not last. These people will perish for all eternity under the righteous judgment of God. But let me say, for those who are here today who do not trust in the Lord, and only you can know that, the Bible is clear God is clear what awaits you. If you do not repent and turn to Christ, you will face the wrath of God for eternity. But there is good news. You do not have to experience this. Christ has paid the penalty for all who would trust in him. And hear Jesus' words in John 6 Verse 40, he says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And so turn to Jesus. Trust in Jesus, because in him, and him alone is their forgiveness and is their life please do not let this good news pass you by. The second part of the conclusion is found in verse 28. Asaph declares, but for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. As opposed to those who live in rebellion to God, Asaph has concluded that being God's Presence is a good thing. It is a blessed thing. Better is one day in your house than thousands elsewhere. And how true that is. Man was made for relationship with God, but sin destroyed that. And through God's grace fulfilled in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, sinners can be reconciled to holy God, and experience eternal life, real life, with him. Asaph knows God as his refuge, as his safety. And we would do well to follow his lead. Let us not make the same mistakes. Let us not fall into the same temptations. But let's wisely learn from Asaph's experience securing ourselves to God right from the start. May we also follow his lead in telling all about all God's works, telling all about the goodness of God, telling all about the faithfulness of God, telling all about the righteousness of God, telling all about the constancy of God so that we may evangelize the lost so that we might edify the church and through all exalt the triune God. For truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Amen to that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the work that you did in Asaph's heart. We thank you for your faithfulness, your constancy to him, your grace and your mercy. We thank you for bringing him back from the brink. We thank you for opening his mind and his heart to your truth. Father, we thank you for leading him to write these words for us, these inspired words by the power of your Spirit. If we are struggling with this, if anybody is struggling with this at the moment where we seek to, to look at the world and wonder why, either through looking at the blessing of, uh, that is experienced by those who, who do not trust in you or by merely seeking to avoid the persecution that those who do not trust in you meet out to your people. Father, help us by the power of your Spirit to understand the truth of this passage. That you are sovereign and you are bringing all things to your purposes. There will be accountability. But Father, we thank you that there is good news. That it is good to be near you. So we pray that you would help us to tell of all your works to all around, so that those who do not know you may come to know the joy and the hope and the life that is found, and trusting in your promises, your promises which are fulfilled through your Son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.